Pulmonary rehabilitation has been shown to be an effective therapy in COPD, but logistics make adherence with the regimen a problem. In this month's Editor's Choice, Benzo and colleagues report on the use of a home pulmonary rehab program using a tablet, activity monitor, and oximeter. Exercises included walking and full-body strength training six days a week. In this pilot study, the authors used health coaching and readily available components to facilitate remote monitoring. The promise of the digital age and remote monitoring and guidance is only now coming to fruition. Collins opines that such a program makes pulmonary rehab accessible for those patients unable or unwilling to attend a center-based program. Further work in this vein is needed. Non-invasive ventilation presents important challenges for aerosol delivery, particularly in pediatrics. Velasco and Berlinski evaluated aerosol delivery during NIV in a pediatric model using a dual-limb ventilator circuit. They varied nebulizer type, position in the circuit, and ventilator settings delivered to a non-vented mask. They report that mesh nebulizers perform better than jet nebulizers regardless of position. Additionally, they demonstrated that increasing inspiratory pressure only improved delivery from the jet nebulizers placed at the ventilator outlet. These data suggest that nebulizer efficiency depends on nebulizer type and position in the circuit. Importantly, data on aerosol delivery during invasive ventilation cannot predict non-invasive ventilation delivery. Zhu and Ma contrast the role of ventilator circuit in invasive ventilation as a reservoir compared to non-invasive ventilation where a fixed leak results in loss of drug to the atmosphere in an accompanying editorial. High-flow nasal cannula is widely used in pediatrics and adults with good results. The mechanisms of action include washout of the anatomical dead space, development of end-expiratory pressure, and consistent FiO2 delivery. Nielsen and colleagues evaluated high-flow nasal cannula in infant, pediatric, and adult models. Using a 3D printed upper airway model and a lung model featuring hypercapnia, they demonstrated that increasing flow improved CO2 elimination to a point above which further increases failed to change CO2 but markedly increased expiratory pressure. Not surprisingly, open mouth breathing significantly decreased expiratory pressure. These data helped to define responses seen clinically with high flow nasal oxygen. Mechanical models of the respiratory system are often based on engineering assumptions and values from normal subjects. This leads to a multitude of lung model studies using widely disparate values for compliance and resistance. Arnau and others attempt to address this issue by evaluating compliance and resistance values from a group of mechanically ventilated subjects with normal lungs, COPD, and ARDS. Consistent with pathology, COPD subjects had higher resistance and higher compliance values, while ARDS was associated with low compliance. These data can be used to describe mechanical models of disease using clinically encountered data. Esophageal manometry has been shown to be useful in selecting PEEP in patients with altered chest wall compliance and monitoring the work of breathing. A caveat in esophageal pressure monitoring is correct placement of the catheter such that transpulmonary pressure can be determined. Hay and colleagues describe an alternative to the typical occlusion test to ascertain proper placement. Using the cardiac cycle locating methods, they found that they could more reliably detect improper placement of the esophageal balloon. Reduction of this method to practice might increase the reliability of esophageal pressure measurements. Hotz and colleagues also evaluated esophageal balloon use in a pediatric model. They found that optimal filling of the balloon prevents both under and overestimation of simulated pressures. Their data suggests a need for improved esophageal catheters for use in pediatrics and that determination of the optimal filling volume for measure inaccuracy is important. Mechanical insufflation exufflation has been used to improve secretion clearance in neuromuscular disorders. Sirawat and others compared 
mechanical insufflation, exufflation to traditional chest physiotherapy in children with cerebral palsy. There was no difference in clinical outcomes, but they report a shortened therapy time in the MIE group. These small differences in a group of 22 children suggest that while mechanical insufflation, exufflation is safe and effective, um, it has equal outcomes to traditional chest physiotherapy. The use of ECMO has, in adults has increased exponentially in the last five years. The untoward impact of ECMO is often lost amongst the stories of successes in critically ill patients. Hayes and co-workers retrospectively reviewed subjects requiring ECMO prior to lung transplant. They found that survival in this group was 82%, but that leg complications and physical function were poor at ICU discharge. Compared to subjects not requiring ECMO, these subjects had worse physical function at ICU and hospital discharge. This small study was complicated by possible differences in severity of illness between groups, but it reminds us that survival beyond ICU heroic measures carries important consequences. Monitoring the electrical activity of the diaphragm and using this signal for controlling the ventilator is the basis for NAVA. However, monitoring the signal from the diaphragm alone may have some utility in determining synchrony and patient workload. Singh and others monitored EADI in a convenient sample of 21 preterm infants with respiratory stress during discontinuation from ventilatory support. They found that lower birth weight and younger gestational age were associated with extubation failure. The mean peak EADI did not discriminate failures from successes. In a similar study in a group of pediatric subjects following cardiac surgery, Cruelly and coworkers retrospectively reviewed their use of both invasive and non-invasive NAVA. In 28 subjects, they demonstrated that NAVA was associated with lower peak and mean airway pressures compared to conventional ventilation. Unfortunately, there was no protocol or consistency in the approach to conventional ventilation, limiting the meaning of these airway pressure changes. The authors reliably conclude that NAVA was effective following cardiac, cardiac surgery, but no changes in clinical outcomes were able to be elucidated with this study design. Height, race, age, and sex are the major determinants of lung capacity and function. Haynes and Stumbo addressed this issue of non-birth sex on the interpretation of spirometry in subjects with airflow obstruction. Current issues related to gender identity make this paper of topical interest. They found that in transgender subjects with airflow obstruction, the use of non-birth sex to determine predicted values increased the risk of both misdiagnosis and inappropriate treatment. This month's narrative review discusses pulmonary stress and strain in ARDS and how this understanding informs our choice of ventilator parameters. Pamire and Calais, two experts in this topic, describe the alterations in regional lung function in ARDS and how this heterogeneity in mechanics impacts parenchymal stresses. This paper helps to explain the current recommendations for ARDS management and aids in interpretation of recent clinical trials. Bahaman and colleagues provide a systematic review regarding choice of the proper interface for NIV in acute respiratory failure. This paper compares and contrasts advantages and disadvantages of nasal, oral nasal, and full face masks, as well as the helmet. Practical advice and data inform the use of different interfaces based on the clinical scenario. Bruce Rubin provides a year in review of cystic fibrosis in this issue. He points out that 2,500 papers were published on various aspects of cystic fibrosis care in the last calendar year and wisely narrows the review to about 100 papers chosen with the assistance from experts around the world. The end result is both informative and entertaining. This month's final paper is a special article regarding the role of spirometry in screening and case finding in COPD and asthma. 
Ruppel and Et and others, experts in their field, review the NLHEP and GOLD guidelines for the diagnosis and categorization of COPD. They conclude that both performance and interpretation of spirometry require standardization and training of caregivers. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues. Thank you.